are those movies that are getting you through this new normal? Hey, welcome to the best movie of the year. A show that normally answers that question, what's the best movie of the year so far? And we dive deep into those movies as they come out every week. Good to have you back. I am John Ellis. Thanks for joining me today and being a part of the episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I really appreciate it. If you're new, click that subscribe link to be notified of new episodes. I have links in the show notes to help you with that. Well, things are a little different now. If you're familiar with this show, you know that I normally talk about the best movie of the year. Last year, we had a landslide with Parasite. It was far and away the best movie of 2019. But as of now, we don't have a lot of movies to choose from. So we can't go to the theaters, we can't see new movies. So things are on hold, or at least slowed down for now. But we'll get back to current movies soon. But for now, I wanted to talk about those movies that you're watching now. Those comfort movies that tell you things are going to be okay. Or maybe you like horror movies, or those movies you have seen so many times that you have every line memorized. A movie that takes you back to a certain time in your life, those nostalgia movies. So I couldn't do this episode without my movie-loving nerd friends. Together, we are all moderators of the Unspooled Podcast Facebook group, managing over 5,600 members and daily conversations about movies. So those friends joining me today, Kate, our leader and manager of the aforementioned Unspooled Podcast Facebook group. She has appeared on that show, plus all things Cozy Podcasts, and of course, soon to be a guest on What Were They Thinking Podcast which is run by our next guest, Brendan. As mentioned, he has What Were They Thinking podcast, along with Four Screen and Country. Catherine is joining us. She's a movie lover like all of us, but also a psychotherapist by trade. So she's currently working on a long-term research study about imaginary and narrative popular culture and the impacts of the development of the consolidation of the self, providing great insights to kind of our minds and what the movies we like. So Kate is going to go first. She's going to throw us right in with a trailer for her comfort movie. See if you can guess this movie, and if you agree with her. We'll dive into the discussion right after this trailer. This thing. Okay, ready guys? Ember, time to support life. What would count down to nothing? Sounds like James said. Patience, everybody! Generator's broke. Can't be fixed. Without it, we won't survive. I have to find a way out of it. Exit. Maybe there's a way out of Ember. Keep your eyes peeled. Look around every corner. You never know where you might find a clue. It's too dangerous. There's a way out. I have proof. Does everyone know what it is? No. Is it the box trolls? <laughs> Do you guys recognize? Do you guys recognize the actors at all? I know Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in that box. <laughs> Did you guys recognize any of those voices? Some pretty famous voices. Kate, is your comfort movie Seven? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> no. Um, so the voices that you heard were uh, Saoirse Ronan, Bill Murray, Tim Robbins. And you may have heard Mary Kay Place and Martin Landau as well. Okay, so the movie that I picked is uh, City of Ember. It's a movie that I've probably listened to 
or watched uh, easily 200 times. I used to listen to it, watch it every night before I went to bed for a long time. That awe you heard was all of us not knowing what that movie is. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you what it is. I know what it is because my daughter did a school project where she created a board game about the city of Ember, and, he, and then they had to take it to school, and they all played it. Really? Wow. Yeah, Do, yeah, does she still have it? I'll have to ask her. I'll ask her. <laughs> Can you send it to me? <laughs> Borrow her child's game. So, <laughs> okay, well, here's City of Ember. City of Ember is a 2008 movie. It was produced by Tom Hanks Production Company and Walden, but when Fox absorbed Walden, they just dumped this unceremoniously, and it never took off. So it lost. It only made uh, $17 million on a $55 million budget. Ooh. Yeah, but it really isn't the movie's fault. So um, the plot of the movie is that there is this uh, sort of apocalyptic disaster. We don't know what it is. They never mention it. It's based on books. They don't mention it in the books either. Um, the way that the scientists decide that they're going to save the world is they build a city underground and it's named Ember and they don't tell anybody they're, they're not going to teach humanity's history in this city so that the people there won't know what they're missing, the new generations. And all they know is that there's a box that the mayor has. And after 200 years, the box is going to open because that's when it's deemed safe to return to the surface, then there will be directions in the box, right? But the seventh mayor sort of suddenly dies, and the box gets lost. It ends up in storage in this girl's apartment, Saoirse Ronan, and it just sort of unceremoniously opens, and nobody knows what's going on. And the city ended up going way past 200 years, so everything was breaking down. The generators were breaking down. They were running out of food. And that's sort of where what the plot is, right? I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it's essentially Saoirse Ronan and Harry Treadaway, who is also in the new Picard series, and they're trying to save the city. Bill Murray plays a somewhat evil mayor of the city who is, um, I don't know, it's sort of apropos for right now because him and his cronies are hoarding all the canned goods and paper goods away from the citizens. And then Tim Robbins plays an inventor. Toby Jones is in it. Marianne John baptiste is in it. It's just a really great cast. I picked it because I find dystopias really comforting. So all of the movies on my list were pretty much apocalyptic or dystopia or people just being stranded together. <laughs> It's hitting a little too close to home right now. That's like what I like though. So the, my, like my other options that I was going to choose were Hunger Games or mm. Warm Bodies or the Passengers movie that came out a little while ago. I do like some of those. I do like Warm Bodies. Warm well, Bodies was, was surprisingly great. Warm Bodies is sitting, a whole page of notes is sitting next to me because that was my pickup until 15 <laughs> minutes ago. Oh, is that the one your <laughs> husband talked you out of? Yeah. If you haven't seen Warm Bodies, you should. It's Romeo and Juliet with a happy ending, and it is very good, and it's about oh, wait, wait, What are you doing? Okay, I like how you just switch movies halfway through. Okay, well, I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about Warm Bodies. Okay. I'm just putting that out there. Okay. But, um, but so, City of Ember. 
One of the interesting things about City of Ember is that they actually had to build this underground city. They did it in warehouses in Belfast. It was a huge set. It was so big that they had to give all the actors maps to get around. Um, you think the set for like Rear Window was big. You're talking 20 times that for this. So it was um, a really just fantastic um, little town that they created. It's in Belfast. Yeah, it was in the Titanic Quarter in the old warehouses that built ships. And it's it's just a really, I always find it really cozy. It's It's a very small sort of enclosed world. And it's not, I like everything to be between a four and a six in my life. That's where I'm comfortable. I don't like to ever get too excited or too happy because it makes me uncomfortable. And I don't like to be like sad, right? So it's a good kind of even keeled movie. I highly recommend it if you have kids because it's, I know nothing about children, actually. I feel like it's kid friendly, but I could be totally out of place. (laughs) It's PG. Surely it's fine. Yeah, but so many kids are wusses. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, cut cut that one out of the show. I'm here. I'm here for this. I'm here. No, no. I'm here for this rant. Kate, go. Please, please continue. <laughs> it's. I well, you know, like I've tried to play stuff like Arthur and the Invisibles, or I don't know, Tangled for kids, and they freaked out. I hope I, you know. I think I didn't do the movie justice, but it really is okay. Cause it really is good. It's, if you like fantasy, it's become a cult classic. So that's nice. It's getting a lot of traction now. And I remember, I'm looking at it right now, Kate, and I totally remember seeing this poster, like with the two kids on it. Yeah. And, and like the medallion in the middle and like the cave and stuff. Like I remember seeing this at the theater, but just, it just kind of came and went. The, uh, so Playtone, when it was Playtone and Walden, they dumped a ton of money into promoting it. They went to Comic-Con that year and they, uh, they bought antique rail cars and had the set designers from City of Ember design the rail cars and then they took journalists from LA airport to San Diego Comic-Con in this train to try to get, um, sort of buzz about it and, it was going really well until Fox absorbed Walden and then just dumped it, which mm-hmm. it was a, a casualty of that. And it, it's kind of a bummer because, again, you have two Oscar winners in this cast. You have three Oscar nominees. And then the Tom, books, Tom, Tom Hanks behind it. Tom Hanks produced it. The books are great. Um, one of the things that I really like about a movie is when I – when I watch one of these comforting movies like Warm Bodies or To All the Boys I Love Before, any of those, and then you look it up, there's a whole series of books behind it, a whole series. So you can watch it and then you can get even more City of Ember through these books and they're fantastic. And Kate, I, I'm uh, curious, I know you uh, identified the things that bring you comfort, like having it at the use of like a four to six, like not overwhelming, but not too slow, like this nice equilibrium in the movie also the notion of uh dystopian or sort of post-apocalyptic movies bring you comfort i'm wondering if there's other elements of the movie that are comforting to you like score atmosphere or 
just other things that you can identify that, you know, sort of get you in that space. Well, I really like the the set is all lit by these sort of retro light bulbs because that's how they get their power. Like um, the whole set is, is lit by those. So it's a really warm light. It's just the whole the whole tone of it is sort of this warm, comforting. The reason I like these dystopia movies is because in situations like that, people are forced to be kind, work together, be a team. I mean, even now with we're just quarantining and look at all the amazing things that have happened because of this isolation. Like all of us are getting to finally talk and hang out. Um, all these Zoom chats and live streams and all the content that people are making and putting out there. It's, I think that these situations have the obvious potential to bring out the worst, but they also bring out the best in people. And it's just, to me, it's always the, I don't know, I really dig it. But really, like, to, to your question though, Catherine, like, the, the whole feel of it, the set, the costumes, they made all the interiors of these apartments and shops. It's like a place that you just would want to go to and, and, and wander around and hang out. It's like, they did such good world building. It's really, really top of the line world building and it's all practical. It's not a lot of, um, CGI or anything like that. It's a world no. that you could, T- that tactile feel that you can get into kind of like the original Star Wars they had that tactile uh, feel that made it so you know inviting yes except these are really well done <laughs> okay <laughs> whoa right <laughs> and, and on that note <laughs> God, the bow. oh my goodness Brendan you want to play your trailer Sure. <laughs> well, it I'm might not be what anyone, anyone expects, so I might, I might can't surprise, imagine. Might surprise you guys, actually. Okay, here we go. What's up, little riders? Jump in the public pool tomorrow. Tell your friends. That's just a sample. Good luck. Don't worry, Denise. I've done this before. So what are you supposed to be? A stuntman? Wow. My safe word will be whiskey. What do you mean whiskey? What? I just don't get why you're saying it that way. Why I'm saying what what way? Forget it. I will. I will forget it. Whoa, whiskey! Whiskey! Oh. Hey, everybody. We have a new crew member today, Denise. So I thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said a little something about ourselves. <laughs> I oh, 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 oh. I know. I know. Like it's that guy oh, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Andy Samberg. What's the name of that movie? Oh, my God. Shut up. It's the movie. It's like the Dewey Cox walking hard, but not. It's like that same kind of thing. Pop star? That's the close. That's really close. It's it's one of those. Oh god! It's like a great idea. Do you want me to just say it? Yeah. Okay. This is this is the uh, 2007 film Hot Rod. <laughs> so yeah, this is. Um, I know everybody was expecting me to pick like a Serbian film or something, but no. This is uh, this is one I've <laughs> I've seen like a million times. Um, it's kind of important. It, it was weird as that sounds. Because it was my first, like, okay, first of all, I'm, like, a addicted, like, big-time, like, Saturday Night Live. I think Kate knows this, so, like, 
because we've talked about it before, but, uh, like every season of Saturday Night Live, I've hunted down, I've watched them all, all 45 seasons, still watching it today. So anything with, like, cast from that show, I'm, like, in right away. It doesn't matter how bad it is. Brother Solomon, I'm in. Superstar, what time is it playing? Ladies Man, sure, why not? Like, it's everything. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they don't turn out so good. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have seen It's Pat, the movie. Oh, God. Like, I think starting with Hot Rod, because this was never, like, a Saturday Night Live sketch. It was just, like... Andy Samberg uh, kind of branching out and doing a movie. And actually, funny enough, I read up a little bit on it. It was supposed to be Will Ferrell originally. Um, and then they kind of had to like, <laughs> like the, uh, the Lonely Island guys kind of said in their words, they had to Samberg the script a little bit. Because they're like, they, they said at the time, you, you don't have the chops of a Will Ferrell. So they had to, uh, to change it a little bit to suit kind of what he was, what he was doing at the time. And it's his first, like, it's his first movie, I think, or his first, like, lead in a movie for sure. Um, And unfortunately, like, this and Popstar didn't do, like, amazing at the theater. But I thought this was such a great, like, cult hit. And it was the first time I could, like, without without being embarrassed, say I liked a Saturday Night Live kind of-ish movie. (laughs) I mean, I guess you have Wayne's World, but I didn't watch that until, like, much later on. I'm surprised I haven't seen this one, Brendan, because I... My appreciation of Andy Samberg has grown over the years. I didn't usually like like it much, but I'm a I'm a big Brooklyn Nine Nine fan. I Who think you would like it. It's it's unhinged. It's like there's no like I'd say it's even more unhinged than Popstar. Like it's just so goofy and ridiculous. Like there are scenes where <laughs> like he's supposed to be like a terrible stunt man, right? So there are scenes where he's waiting to to drive across this like I don't know six foot pool. And he, all his like spirit animals start coming together in like little images above his head, like bottlenose dolphin. And you actually hear like a dolphin and stuff like that. And there's just whole scenes of like where none of what they're saying makes sense. And then they just go, they just go right back to the movie. So it's just that unhinged, like ridiculousness that I think I really like. And, um, and it's short. So I mean, it's something you can throw on and 85 minutes later or something, you're done. So. And uh, I think it's the most. Uh, I think I would say it's my a comfort movie. I almost said, I almost said like several Muppet movies because I do love the Muppets too. Um, but I think this one, I think this one, I've seen more than any Muppet movie. <laughs> I w- I was just picturing you were going to go darker, Ben. I was thinking. I know that's. Movie. I think that's why I picked this. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to go against the grain for my stereotype here. Um. I mean, I do like dark movies, but I think if you're talking comfort movies, like I gotta go with something a little bit lighter. Uh, so yeah, I would go with uh, I'll go with Hot Rod. It's got a great cast too. I mean, Bill Hader's in this before he was like a a, a bigger deal. Before more people knew who he was, uh, this is also the first movie I saw Danny McBride in, who I love in like everything. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else is. Uh, uh, you get Will Arnett. Like, there's just so many good people. Isla, Isla Fisher is in it. I know you mentioned it wasn't an SNL character, but was it a, was it still like, was it still a Lauren Michaels film? Yeah, it was a Lauren Michaels production. Um, and again, it was supposed to be a Will Ferrell movie. So I'm not sure, I think when it was, when it was originally written for Will Ferrell, though, it had nothing to do with, like, Lauren Michaels or SNL. And then I think they kind of, I think he had to pass or he did did a different movie or something. He had to research for Holmes and Watson 10 years in advance, something like that. So he had to, uh, so they gave it to Andy Samberg and they made magic. 
So, Brandon, I'm going to throw out the same question to you that I threw out to Kate about the sort of the elements of, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's, you know, with a comedy, it's a little more, I guess, surface, like, wackiness and stuff like that, but it still has, you know, a frenetic energy, I'm guessing. I haven't seen it. So, like, you know, what are the elements of it that you really like that that are comforting for you? It feels like one of those movies where, like, you just know, you just recognize every face, and I don't know, it's just kind of like, you just kind of have fun watching it. Like, it's just like watching people interact. Like, it's kind of like, I guess, the appeal, um, a lot of people, I mean, I like the movies too, but it's a lot of people say the appeal of, like, a Judd Apatow movie, where you're just kind of watching people hang out, mm-hmm. and it's kind of got that vibe, but, like, in a much more, obviously, like like you said, frenetic uh, and fast paced way. Um, and she had yeah, just like everyone in this movie. Just, it's just so wonderful to watch everyone. <laughs> and I love the Lonely Island. They're great. I think the four of us have a lot of conversations that other people don't know we're having. Obviously. Dun, 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 dun. But so we all know. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, uh, we know that Brendan has really weird tasty movies. We've alluded to it multiple mm. times. I don't know if you'd say weird. I don't think well, that's, okay, that's, very that's your, that's your word choice, not his. Dark, <laughs> dark taste. He has dark taste in movies. And I was just wondering if there are any of those darker movies that are also comforting to you. Do you ever find comfort, or is it just stuff like this? No, because, like, I don't know. I guess the reason I like those movies is I kind of like the weird anxiety feeling I get from watching them. I know that might be a strange thing to say, but um, I think comfort movies are different for me i I don't think i mean it's i don't know it's hard to say because like i could also be like oh i just want to sit down and watch a horror movie maybe something like predictable like a friday the 13th or something just like something that i don't really have to turn on my brain for (laughs) but like i'm not going to sit there and watch i don't know uh like a david lynch movie to mellow out or anything like that (laughs) that's good because i've known those people and they're not very yeah, I'm not like, hey guys, you guys want to come over, hang out, maybe watch a racer head. Uh. <laughs> I think that'd be a good segue because of our ending the conversation with the talking about horror. Perfect. So it's no. <laughs> we all just shuddered. When you're a kid, I think the universe revolves around you. You think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late. So yes, my movie is It, 2017. So part one, we're not even going to go about into part two. I was not a fan of the second. So uh, directed by Andy Muschietti. I think that's how you his, say his name. Number of writers, but most notably, Carrie Joji Funkanaga, who wrote the first season of True Detective, which is one of my favorite seasons of any television show. Um, and of course a nice cast of, uh, kid actors. And then also, of course, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise the Clown, who 
who is amazed to see it here. So anyway, I think this is very on brand. It is definitely on brand. Well, I, I took some time to think about it because I have a lot, I have a lot of comfort movies and most of them tend to be from the eighties when I was growing up. So, I mean, the obvious choice would have been star Wars, a new hope or empire strikes back. Um, other comfort movies, which I have found myself watching in recent days, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, The Big Lebowski. So anyway, I don't, because I've been watching a lot of comfort movies, but then I, so I went through my list of my favorite movies and I was trying to see what kind of leapt out to me. And I was trying to think of something more recent instead of something that sort of soaked in nostalgia, because I'm a very nostalgic driven person. And so I landed with it. Um, because actually I have watched this movie when I've been in a bad place and just sort of, you know, found my way to it one evening. Um, I did originally see it in the theater. Um, and I think one of the reasons I like it so much and why it is comforting to me is because it does have the elements of the eighties nostalgia that does feel so comforting Kids on bicycles, uh, freedom, like sort of the ET sort of kind of feel to it. Even the opening scenes of the movie, this sort of afternoon, cloudy, rainy day on, you know, a fall uh, afternoon, there's something really cozy about that. And, you know, our protagonist, Bill, is laid up sick in his room and his, he's making something for his brother to play with. And there's this tenderness between them that is really um, affecting. And, uh, and there's so the, and then this has this delicate piano music. The mother is playing piano, which fills the house. And I, and that's, I grew up in a house like that where there was always music in the house. And so there's just something that sort of sucks you in that feels comfortable. Of course that all gets, torn up a bit when there's a clown in the sewer, <laughs> but, and so something that also just interests me in general is, uh, is examining fear and, um, how we encounter that in the world. And I think also the kids in this movie, I want to say are in eighth grade. I don't remember there. I don't think they ever really said what, how old they are. I'm guessing about 13 13, 14, and the, the majority of the movie takes place in the summer of 1989. So I was that age in the summer of 1989. Oh, well, I guess you all know how old I am now. And so there was, so, you know, so there's stuff in the soundtrack that's familiar. They use the cult. They use the cure. I'm trying to think what else they use. Um, you know, the Batman on the marquee. So there is just this sense of place that feels so familiar to me. And I think when we talk about comfort, there's a lot of that. It's what feels familiar and what feels sort of baked. To quote Amy Nicholson, she said, Star Wars is sort of a part of our spines. And I, I like that, thinking about these um, cultural pieces that just become such a part of us. And this movie, for me, taps into that. Um um, the scenes that really, really stand out to me in the movie that feel so comforting are um, the scene where they go to the quarry 
to go swimming. And this is just really when the children are sort of gelling their their friendship. Like the group is really coming together at that point. I don't think Mike is a part of the group just yet. He comes in soon after. But this is when Beverly is really introduced into the group. Um, and they've all encountered uh, it at some point in the movie. So there's this underlying tension that that's existing. And then when all the kids come together at the quarry and then Beverly joins them and shows all the boys up, this little redheaded girl, just like me, I was a little redheaded girl, just like that, the outcast, the one that actually hung out mostly with the boys comes in, shows them up and just jumps full stop into the quarry. And then they all jump in and there's this really suit, like just quiet, peaceful music. And I remember the first time I saw it in the movie, just the words like safety came into my mind. This is the place where they feel safe with each other and are able to be children. And that really spoke to me. Was there some more thing I was going to say about the kids? Well, they're all really good. They're amazing. They're excellent actors. And they've all gone to do some other really great things. I know, um, was it uh, from Stranger Things with Mike? Yeah. And then we had, then, um, Beverly was recently in the Gretel and Hansel movie, and... Was that good? Did anyone see that? Gretel and Hansel? It was okay. It wasn't great. She, uh, she was also um, the actress, Sophia, I'm looking at her, Sophia Lillis? Yes. She's in a new show on Netflix that I really enjoyed called uh, I Am Not Okay With This. Brand new show. Hmm. Not familiar with that. Um, oh, yeah. I really want to see that. She was Nancy Drew, too. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. And that was a good movie. Yeah, and you know what? It was good. Like, it was actually a pretty, I mean, it's a kids movie, but it was pretty good. It was a lot better than it could. I love Nancy Drew, though. And and as, and as we know, Kate's on the record as hating children. (laughs) (laughs) That's why she really loves this movie. And it's also, it's also probably the, at least not probably, definitely, out of the ones we've talked about so far, the highest grossing. Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah. for sure. and it's definitely mine too. It's not mine's not going to be a big Hollywood blockbuster either. I am really interested to see what you picked, John, because I wonder if it's going to be one that's on my short list as well. Since you and I have such similar taste. Well, Catherine, are you done first? I want to make sure. I don't yeah, that. I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. So I I knew when we did this that there was not knowing each other's movie, there was a good chance that, and knowing our taste, there was a good chance we probably wouldn't pick the same movies, and it definitely didn't happen. But I did worry about you a little more, Kate, because I figured our close, our taste was a little closer. But I've never heard you talk about this one specifically. So I'm going to play the trailer. And just... How's that fun? Yeah, it's fun. Have you kissed her yet? She's got a boyfriend. Pulled off in his car, music blaring. What was he listening to? Genesis. No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. So the guy with the car. It's complicated. As long as you're happy. You are truly on a hero's journey. Are you up to that? I think she's just an amazing human being. Think big, Connor. End of term disco after school. Oh, John's going to be so mad at me. We can play it. Yeah, you're going to be so angry at me, though, John, because I told you that I would watch this movie a thousand times, and I, I, I still haven't seen it, and I, it's on my list, and I, I rented it twice now and haven't watched it. That movie, it's a music-filled, sing-along, toe-tapping, coming-of-age movie called Sing Street. 
Mm-hmm. I, my I guess was Hostel Part Two. <laughs> it's very similar. Very similar. Minus minus the toe tapping music. I was and also okay. everything else I just said. And I some toes. The <laughs> minus the toes. Um, <laughs> it is very similar. It is it is like the commitments. It is a that's that's similar. Um, but this is more current, and this is more eighties music. And you have recommended so, this one to me, so noted. Have I, oh, I probably yes. have. I probably recommended everybody else I've seen. So, so you guys haven't seen this at all? Mm-hmm. No. No, but one of my best okay. friends was really trying to get me to watch it about a year ago. Okay, so the story <laughs> for the, for those not familiar with Sing Street, which is everyone, it's about a Dublin boy named Connor who wants to start a band, but really just he's trying to impress a girl. It's the only reason he's doing it. So this movie was nominated for Golden Globe, best movie. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's really about the writing of songs and how songs are created. John Carney also did Once, which is about the same, it's about writing songs. And he also did, um, Begin Again with Mark Ruffalo and Kara Knightley. So that's, that's his, he does that a lot. He write, he writes music about songwriting. Um, but essentially it's a coming of age story about this kid truck falling in love for the first time. It's, it has some fan fantasy elements to it. Not a lot, but so there's some sequences there where they're making a music video and you're not sure if this is real or if it's real or just, they're just dreaming. So it's really, um, it's just colorful and bright in some of the scenes and it's fun to watch. Um, and even the ending, you could say, is that, is that really happening or is it just a video they're making? So the music is fine. So Catherine, when you were talking about your music, this, so this music has has all the lot not, a lot of 80s music. It's got ABC, The Cure, Hollow Notes, Joe Jackson, uh, Motorhead. That is all a this, mix. All this ran- and it, and it, it is a it is a random a random mix of music. For me, the real music, the sort of the gem of the music here is, is all the original songs, and I can name all these songs, but you guys aren't going to know them, so it doesn't matter. But this, all the original songs is they're really good songs. And they're, they're just, it's just a fun movie to listen to. And a little bit about the cast. Most of the cast is just unknown young people. Connor's brother is played by Jack Rayner. Um, you, mm. I, he's been in stuff. In Midsummer. You, know, you saw him. Yes, he was in Midsummer. You're right. So he, he, he was in that. And he, he's, he kind of helps him and provides him guidance throughout, and like the Genesis comment and Phil Collins comment. Uh, so he, he provides him music and, uh, vinyl and tapes and cassettes to listen to, to, to help him join this band and create this band with the, again, with the ultimate goal of not necessarily being a good band, but just being a good enough band so he can get recognized by girls and girls can, cause they're not, they're not even that, they're not that good. I mean, um, but the songs are good and, and I wouldn't even say that the boy singing, it's really a good singer, but it's, it's good enough for the movie and it's good enough for his little school. Another actor, um, and I had to look up her name, I wasn't sure. Maria Doyle Kennedy, who plays his mom. It's the only other person I'd recognize. She was in Orphan Black. If you guys have seen that, she was the mom in Orphan Black. Fun fact about her: her very first movie was The Commitments. She was not one of the, the female vocalists. So it's like full circle for her to come back to this movie, and it really feels like sort of this band coming together. Um, so they're all trying to learn instruments. Some of them are really good instruments. Some of them are trying to—I mean, musicians. Some are trying to learn. The first song they learned, for instance, was uh, Duran Duran's Rio. Which is really in my wheelhouse of growing up, right? That Duran Duran. I love that song, actually. Just feel it's just a feel good movie. 
It's a movie. I've, I don't think I even mentioned it. It takes place in the 80s, by the way. But it was made in oh, okay. 2016. Are you like a big musicals fan in general? Yeah, I guess so. But, but let me caveat that by saying I have absolutely no musical ability at all. But I don't classify it. It's funny you say that. I don't classify this as a musical. Okay. There's music in it, but they don't break out in song in the middle of the street and start dancing. The music is is part of the the music belongs in the story. It, it's not a side. It's diegetic, right? That's the word for it. music yeah. that everyone hears. It's part of the plot. It's not like it's uh it's the it's the Scorsese style of of scoring a movie. It's all coming from in uh things actually in the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's Sig Street. For the longest time, it was available on Netflix in the U.S. And when I went to watch it, it wasn't there, and I started panicking. And but that's when I saw it was on Roku, the Roku Roku streaming channel. Wait, you don't own it? You talk about this all the you talk about this movie so much. I would assume that you owned it. I don't own any movies. Really? Oh, I don't have a, a selfie shelfie. Thing. I was going to say. We shan't see John posting on the shelfy Saturday, Brad. No, I do not. I do not participate in that. I feel like I'm a digital hoarder. I did collect them for many, many years, but actually, after the last move, I had to like basically get rid of a lot of them, and well, it just feels very freeing. Don't you also feel like we all came of age? I mean, I know we're all a little bit apart, but we're in the same wheelhouse, and. Uh, it was right when we had enough money to start collecting VHSs. Yeah. I had a collection, then DVDs came out. I yeah. was just like, why even bother? <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did definitely, um, spend entire paychecks buying DVDs for a long time. I used to go to video stores and buy their used things and then yeah. take them home and watch them and then sell them back and buy new used ones with even. But anyway, back to John's movie. I'm really glad you picked this, John, because this has been a movie I've been wanting to watch forever. And you finally, I think this is it. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, it did. It does. Um, as we're, you guys are talking about your movies, I kept hearing these similarities. Like, Catherine, you mentioned The Cure several times, and The, the Cure is played throughout this movie in several scenes. Um, so it's that. And then he's this this guy, this kid, is just, he's just trying to find himself. So he's constantly, every every scene, he's got a new hairdo. So one, one day it died black. You know, he, he's just trying to copy some of the people, like you know, the Robert Smith look or Flock of Seagulls look or whatever it may be. He's just trying to find his his right zone. Uh, but in the meantime, he's at this strict. Um, I assume I assume some kind of Jesuit school. Right? They, have, they have all these rules and can't do this and can't do that and very abusive uh, dean, I guess. Really or good. headmaster. Headmaster. That's probably that's probably more appropriate. Yeah, that's what we had. Um, I find it interesting that three of us, and kind of Brendan too, all picked movies where young people are banding together specifically. Like, it's specifically about, like, youth. You know what? It, it, that kind of does happen in Hot Rod. <laughs> well, cause he's immature, right? I assume if it's Andy Samberg, it must be a very immature character. <laughs> Well, and he's also like, he's also him and his, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy goofy comedy, but ultimately it's about him and his buddies. So, I mean, it is kind of the same thing. Maybe like there's a, there's definitely, it, oh wow, geez, yeah. cut us right to the bone. We all, we all miss our childhood. Or Sorry, Catherine, Catherine's <laughs> just people. made me want to be introspective. 
I'm working lay, on you. Lay down on the couch. So, John, what, again, going back to, you know, you, I know you've identified some of the elements with, like, coming together, that coming of age. Do you, are there elements of, like, that main character, that coming of age, get liking a girl, that stuff that resonates with your experience of being that age? But for me, one of the things that really, this is kind of sidestepping your question there, but one of the things that really, like, I was wondering why there I keep coming back to this movie, like, trying to figure out why. These these songs, especially the original songs, as much as I love the 80s music, the original songs, as soon as you hear them, for me, it just feels like, I know this song. But you don't know it because it's the first time you've heard it, and just, it's instantly, it feels like, and that's, by the way, that goes back to John Carney, who wrote the songs and the music and the movie. He's just a music guy at heart. Um, but but the, there's a comfortable feeling with these songs as soon as you hear them, and it just, and he has a good knack of writing for the decade. Like, this is an 80s movie. And he wrote songs that feel like they fit right in with that that genre, that eighties genre. It just felt warm and cozy. Catherine, do you have any um, psychotherapist logic or story that can kind of tie all these movies together? Or you could analyze us based on our choices. Oh, it's already been happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the one thing, like, I think kind of addressed before and kind of been thinking about this a lot since we came up with our topic is what brings comfort. And I think about, um, get things that feel familiar. Um, I think is probably one of the most primary sources of comfort because one, um, the human brain, uh, res- responds well to things that already knows. And so, you know, we're constantly in cycles and patterns in search of things that are familiar, which can take some pretty wrong turns along the way, which is how people end up in my office. But, um, but like there actually is uh, some science that shows when we watch a movie or listen to a song that we know and feels familiar, we actually, our brain releases dopamine. And so there actually is a physical sensation that takes over the body that's, uh, adds to that comforting feeling of visit, revisiting something that's familiar. And so your brain kind of gets to take a break for a while because it doesn't have to create any wiring. It's, it gets to relax in a space that it already knows in like sort of well-tread territory. Um, that's why I, I fell asleep to City of Ember every day for like a year. Seriously, yep. that and then after that there, was Last Unicorn. There's there's totally something to that. And, you know, when I work with people who have trouble sleeping, you know, they try different, you know, sleep meditations or, you know, different uh, routines. And I said, it doesn't, you know, whatever you choose, don't make it different. You want to try to create the same routine. And then your brain will start going, okay, this is familiar. It's time to sleep. And then it. But it still distracts you enough that you don't have to listen to your own thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, I think you're onto something about the fact that there's something about childhood or childlike feeling about all of these movies that sort of goes to these deeper parts of ourselves that feel comfortable. Um, Again, senses of nostalgia and connectedness. You know, we get to kind of just bathe in that for a little while. Well, on that note, guys, thank you so much for doing this and being a part of the show. I just like being able to hang out with everyone. 
Yeah. And now you get now you get every, everyone gets to hear us singing together. And this is mm. fun. I enjoy being a nerd, and so thank you for giving me a platform for expressing me my nerdy gloriness. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, yeah. thank you for letting me talk about Hot Rod out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so our to recap: movies, people, did you see? City of Ember, Hot Rod, It, and Sing Street. And that includes everybody. All very similar. And that includes everybody on this call right now. All of us need to see all four of those movies. <laughs> those who are listening, thanks for being a part of this episode. I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know these new episodes. We have a lot more coming. If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or however you are listening. I love to hear from you. Reviews and stars are certainly always helpful. As always, you can find this podcast on all the major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk about more movies. You can find me at lsonmovies.com and always on Twitter at lsonmovies. I look forward to the next episode and hearing from you. But until then, stay inside.